Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Good morning, I'm Micah Hester. I'm going to read our scripture this morning from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man who was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Well, good morning. Thank you. Uh, it's a joy to be able to be here and worship with, uh, with you, um, brothers and sisters uh, here in Charlotte. Uh, my name is Phil, and like Gordon said, we've been in Prague, Czech Republic for a long time. We've, I've been here before, so uh, it, it's always good to be able to come back and worship with you here at, at Hope. Uh, we went 18 years ago when our oldest two kids were two and six months old to help start an international church there called Faith Community Church. And uh, we are, by God's grace, uh, continuing to worship there. We helped plant a bilingual church out of that community uh, through other missionaries. Uh, and, and so we are excited to see God continue to, to move in the Czech Republic. Uh, those of you who know my wife, Shanna, she and my daughter were, were here a couple weeks ago as well uh, when we were all in town. And, and she lately has been doing uh, incredible ministry, if I can brag on her, with uh, Ukrainian refugees because that is still very much in the forefront of, of our uh, ministry. And uh, we have had to do some big pivots in order to uh, work with the people that God is continuing to bring us. And so that's, that's a little bit about what we're doing. And, and now my role at, at Surge, our mission organization, is, is uh, changing and working more with just church planting in general and, and doing some recruiting. So I was here this last week at, at seminary at RTS 
our old stomping grounds and talking to students about what international ministry could look like through church planting. So it, it worked out great for me to be able to be here today as well. So, so thank you. So you, you get the idea from uh, what Gordon just prayed and from the songs we've been singing that, that really are our passage today. It, it, it is about rest. It, on the surface, it's simply about the Sabbath. And, and as usual, Jesus uh, tells us much, much more than that. So you've been going through this book of, of Mark, this action-packed gospel, and already in the first couple of chapters, you've seen Jesus do a lot. And lately, the last couple of passages you've looked at, he's been the, the great disruptor, right? He's messing with people's impressions of what God is like, what religion could be, uh, what the Messiah could be like. So far, he's claimed to be able to forgive sins. He's spending time with unpopular people, socially marginalized. He's changing the way that people think about religious practices and observances. Last week, you looked at the passage of fasting, but, but so far, there's no category that Jesus is really fitting into that makes sense. And part of the passages that we looked at today that you heard read uh, is really a continuation of this. So there's two incidents, there's two stories back to back that you heard in Jesus's early ministry that tell us a lot about God, the gospel, and ourselves. You have an outline in the bulletin there, and we will see how Jesus disrupts our wrong thinking, how he corrects our self-righteousness, and how he fulfills our deepest rest. So let's take just a first look, uh, uh, review these two separate stories in the life of Jesus. They're very similar. They both take place on the Sabbath, the most holy of days for Israel. And the first one is with his disciples out in a field. And then the second one is in a synagogue. Both stories deal with what is permitted to do or not do on the Sabbath. Both times people basically say to him, hey, you can't do that. And both times Jesus responds and corrects them. And on the surface, he's just simply continuing to disrupt their wrong thinking. If you were here last week, I imagine you heard this as well. The subject last week was fasting and what uh, Jesus and his disciples were or were not doing, how their religious observance wasn't meeting some sort of particular standard that the Pharisees had set. The Pharisees, you've seen them before, we've seen them before, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, the ones who interpreted the law, who loved the law, but then became the, the legalists, the ones who believed that life was to be found in obeying the law, that salvation came through law keeping. And here today, the Pharisees are again angry because of Jesus's observance or lack thereof, of the Sabbath laws, because it seemed inconsistent to them from what they had gathered in Scripture. The Old Testament law said some very good things about the Sabbath and what you were supposed to do or not do. You know this from the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 talks about this very commandment regarding the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So here it is, this last day of the week where God celebrates his finished work. He rests, not, not because he's tired, of course, but because he's satisfied in what he has made. And so you also rest on the last day of the week. That was the command given to the Jews. And the Pharisees loved this law. But here we have two stories that disrupt their thinking. The first story, Jesus and his disciples are in the field picking grain. The Pharisees, who are there for some reason, why are they in a field watching Jesus? I have questions, but it makes me wonder, maybe they're just trying to catch him. And so they're out there in the field watching him pick grain, and they basically say, hey, that's work. You can't do that. And Jesus responds with some Old Testament back at them. He references their own King David and a story we're not going to look at, but a story from 1 Samuel 21 where David himself broke the law in the technical sense in order to provide for himself and others. He was eating bread reserved for the priests. In other words, it's okay, Jesus is saying, it's okay to seek satisfaction for hunger on the Sabbath. And then in a parallel account in Matthew's gospel, Jesus actually gives another reason in this situation, which is interesting. In Matthew 12, Jesus also says this to them, or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. In other words, the priests in the Old Testament were actually working on the Sabbath. That was their work day. And yet they were guiltless. And so, in other words, they're, they're not breaking the Sabbath, even though they're working, so that would be inconsistent with their thinking. And that verse 6 right there would have made them really mad. We'll come back to that. I tell you, something greater is here. Then in the second incident, the first part of chapter 3 in Mark, Jesus is now in a synagogue, and a man with a, a withered hand is there. And again, the Pharisees are watching, and it says very obviously to us this time, verse 2, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And this time, Jesus uses the man and this very public setting to challenge them. He asks them, verse 4, what is lawful? He asks, verse 4, you heard it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And he's met with silence. Jesus is using this sacred setting in the synagogue, this place of worship on the Sabbath to heal this man, to restore him. And it's showing us how the Sabbath is used for restoring broken things. That's part of the point of the Sabbath. And that's what makes Jesus so sad and mad about the silence of the Pharisees. They can't even answer the most basic question that he poses to them in that verse. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They, they totally missed the point. They were probably thinking, well, it's lawful to not work. His question probably didn't even compute with them. And so basically, if you want a summary of these two passages, the Pharisees say, you can't do that. Jesus says, Yes, I can. Actually, I invented this day. Watch, and you are missing the point. And so Jesus is disrupting their view of Scripture. But what's fascinating is that is something that's just hinted at in the very last verse of our passage, that Jesus is disrupting others as well. 
Verse 6 said, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy them. Now, we haven't seen the Herodians yet, but after this miraculous healing, instead of seeing Jesus supernaturally restore this man's hand and bowing down in worship, declaring him to be the Messiah, the Pharisees start plotting and they start working with, of all people, the Herodians. And who were they? The Herodians, they were the Jewish supporters of the the king that had been put in charge of them, Herod Antipas, who was basically a pawn of the Roman Empire who was occupying them at the time. And so these Jews who were in favor of Herod, the Herodians, were the ones who had to basically eliminate their, their law in order to follow them. They were the ones who were trying to gain political and social power. And to do that, they couldn't really observe the law. So here you have the Pharisees who loved the law and did everything they could to observe it, 100%, who loved it. And the Herodians, who were like the progressives that day, who were just trying to get influence in any way they could, working together to take down the one person who is disrupting both of them, who doesn't fit into a category at all. Can, can, can we imagine any kind of analogy today of two completely opposing groups working together? Uh, no, no, we can't. <laughs> but that's how much Jesus was already messing with the established parts of society. Uh, and at some points in, in our lives, and probably in your life if you are a Christian, Jesus has most likely disrupted your wrong thinking as well. I can look back and he still corrects my bad thinking, but I remember thinking at various times things like, you know, I've heard God helps those who help themselves. I bet that's true. Or, you know, I, if I do something for God, I think he'll probably reward me as a result. That's probably the relationship that I should have with God. Or, yeah, I'll love my neighbor as myself, but only if they deserve it. You know, those are some of the things that I've thought. And Jesus has had to disrupt my wrong thinking. He's good at that. That's what he does. But on a deeper level, Jesus was doing more than just correcting theology. He wasn't just correcting their bad thinking. He was also confronting their hard hearts. And he was correcting their self-righteousness. In these two situations, he's actually doing something that maybe you've heard before, maybe even in this sermon series, how he is differentiating between religion and his gospel. Differentiating between just mere religion and the gospel. A religion, in, in the negative sense of that word, is really just simply a set of rules in order to bring you closer to God in terms of spiritual practice or thought. And the Pharisees do this. They have just simply boiled down their faith to God into a religion, a set of rules, very good rules, but just rules that they can check off. But the gospel, however, is not rooted in rules, but as you know, a relationship. It's not about record keeping, it's about worship. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he says to them at the end of the first incident, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 27 of chapter 2. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But the Pharisees have been treating the Sabbath, this holy day, as something for them to achieve, as if the, the end goal of their whole being 
is to obey Sabbath laws. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you, you were not made for the Sabbath. God did not create the Sabbath first and then humans later to fit into Sabbath keeping, but just the opposite. God made humans and then the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was designed to be a gift for you. A gift so that you can enjoy your relationship with God even more instead of having rules and restrictions. This, this summer I was also here in Charlotte at one point and worshipped at uh, South End and you guys were going through the sermon series on the Ten Commandments called Free to Flourish, God's Gift of the Ten Commandments. I wasn't here for the fourth commandment about the Sabbath, but I imagine you talked about this then, that the idea, the whole idea of all of the commandments is so that we could flourish in our relationship with God, so that we could enjoy Him more. And But what the Pharisees have done, and honestly what we tend to do, is to take God's good gifts and, and twist them. We contort them, and we, and we can do that one of two different ways. We can do it like the Pharisees. We could take a gift from God. We could value it, but we could misapply it. We could, we could say, oh, you're giving me the Sabbath? Okay, well, let me prove to you that I am worthy to have this gift. Let me show you how good I am at it. And so it becomes not just a, a gift, but suddenly a straitjacket to restrict us. But the other way we can twist God's good gifts is, is to receive it and undervalue it and start to take it for granted. And we could say, oh, a Sabbath? Eh, okay, well, thanks, I guess. Don't really need it anyway. It's like a perk. Appreciate it. And that's probably how the Herodians were treating the Sabbath, using something if it's just convenient or advantageous for them. But Jesus is saying, this is a gift. The Sabbath was made for you. Not to make you righteous, but because God loves you and has already told you that you are righteous. So we tend to twist God's gifts into things that become proof or evidence of our faith, trying to achieve or own our own righteousness. Even if you're a missionary. What do I mean? Well, I, I have met missionaries, and, and at times I have found myself tempted to, to realize that uh, I'm on the mission field for wrong reasons. It's very possible to go to the mission field for wrong reasons. Some missionaries, and at times myself, are really insecure Christians. And they're on the field to prove their worth find themselves saying, well, I'm not sure if God really likes me, so I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll prove it by going overseas and becoming a missionary. That'll show God. And I have honestly met some missionaries, and when they realized that, they left the field because they realized they were there for the wrong reasons. Instead of God just loves you, you want to share that relationship, you're trying, to, you're trying to prove it to God. And, and that's just one example. But Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here, he's saying to us, your Sabbath keeping, your love of the law, it's misapplied. You think it's what's keeping you righteous and holy, especially when you compare yourself to others. But you can't find life there. 
And isn't it ironic, if you think about it, that these Pharisees, they were working so hard at not working on the Sabbath that they were actually working. And at the end of the day, they were disobeying that very commandment by working so hard. Jesus is like, you're not even as righteous as you think you are. So he's disrupting the wrong thinking. He's correcting their self-righteousness. But on the deepest level, Jesus is actually inviting people into something because he's fulfilling our deepest rest. He's, he's showing that the Sabbath is a gift. It's designed for our good. It's given for us. And it's pointing us to something even more important than just simply one day a week. And how does he show this? Well, he takes this man with a withered hand and he restores him. He heals him. It, it was given to us as God's demonstration that there is something restoring, deeply restoring about Jesus. Even more restoring than this man's experience from being healed. And it's not just being, uh, having a break from work. Yes, rest from work is good, but Jesus is saying there's a rest. There is a deeper rest that you can have in me, and it's a rest from striving for self-righteousness. It's a rest from striving to be self-important. It's a rest from your self-salvation techniques. And it's a rest from anything that you try to do to justify your self-worth. It's, it's, a, it's a deep rest. That's not the opposite of work, because honestly, the opposite of rest isn't work. The opposite of rest is restlessness. And Jesus is saying, you're restless. That's what you are doing, Pharisees. And that's manifesting itself in your hard work to try to keep the Sabbath, but you are actually restless. And as you've heard before, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus, right? So much so that the Bible actually transforms the Sabbath into a parable, in a way, of the whole gospel, if you think about it. Because now the Sabbath is no longer the last day of the week on Saturday, as it was originally instituted, where you work for six days, you rest on the seventh like God's model. That Sabbath is good. It reflects God's satisfaction in his creation work. But it, it can feel like, okay, congrats, you did it. You earned it. You get a day off. But what happened? Well, now the weekly Sabbath has been redefined as the first day of the week, the church commemorating Christ's resurrection on the first day. It's your day of rest that's given to you before you've done anything at all, before you go to work tomorrow. You get a rest. You didn't earn it. It's just given to you because God loves you. And so now you get to go to work and serve him and worship him through your work because he gives you good things including the Sabbath, not because of anything you've done. That's the gospel. Your work is actually supposed to be the fruit of your rest, if you think about it. This was kind of brought home to me uh, last week because another day I was at Reformed Theological Seminary and there was a great event for one of my previous pastors, a, a theological, uh, uh, my systematic theological professor, Dr. Kelly, and they had a book that was published in his honor. 
and it was edited by a couple of uh, seminary buddies of ours. And so it was a great event to honor uh, Dr. Kelly and his incredible 80 years of, of ministry and service. And one of the editors, as he was introducing Dr. Kelly and talking about this book, it was kind of like a theological roasting with uh, awkward jokes that we all found amusing, but none of you would. Uh, my friend was introducing him and commending Dr. Kelly, and he said this about him. He said, it, he, Dr. Kelly reminds him of the C.S. Lewis quote about a holy person. When C.S. Lewis says, and this is on the front of your bulletin, a, a holy person will usually seem to have a lot of time. You will wonder where it comes from. <laughs> And he said, Dr. Kelly is one of the most prolific people that he knows. He's a seminary professor. He preaches multiple times on Sundays. He's written incredibly large, voluminous books. And yet he seems to have a lot of time. And that's because Dr. Kelly loves the Sabbath. And he loves rest in Jesus. And not just the day off, but he loves the relationship and the rest that he receives through Jesus. And Dr. Kelly was honored and we celebrated him and at the very end he said a few words and he could have said anything at all and he said, I just wanna sing a hymn with you guys. <laughs> and I'm just so glad that when I was six years old, the grace of God came into my life and saved me, not because of anything I've done. That's incredible. There's a whole chapter in this book devoted to Dr. Kelly's rhythms of rest and work. Dr. Kelly, this amazingly fruitful, proficient writer, lecturer, speaker, he knew that his work was the fruit of his rest. And so this chapter in there is by a guy named Alex Mark. He's a pastor down in Beaufort, South Carolina. Uh, the whole chapter, it, it, here's the title of the whole chapter, Rhythms of Rest and Work in the Ministries of Douglas Kelly and William Still. That sounds so boring, but it is an incredible, incredible chapter about the, the rhythms of this man. And this is how Alex Mark wrote, just about work, not even about Dr. Kelly. Our workaholism born of a tendency to seek meaning and security through the labors of our hands all testify not to the busyness of our schedules, but to the restlessness of our hearts. So much of what we call work today is really an expression of that restlessness, a desire to create identity to find security and to prove our sufficiency rather than resting in the sufficiency of who God is. Ouch. That, that was my reaction when I read it. But the entire gospel is based on this. Our, the entire gospel is based on resting, isn't it? One of the best questions from the shorter catechism, what is faith in Jesus Christ? I love this answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone. It could have said a lot of different things. It could have said receive and prove yourself. It could have said receive and work hard, but it's receive and rest on him alone. And we're not, we're not really good at that, are we? Receiving and resting. Those are two of the most anti-Charlotte verbs out there. I can put myself in that category. I used to work uptown in a tall building before going into ministry, so I know. The point of what you hear and experience during the week is not rest, but all of the active things. Accomplish, perform, strive. And, and, and honestly, life and ministry 
can also become a life that is not about receiving and resting. So it's not just anti-Charlotte. It's not just anti-Western. It's anti-human for that to be the basis of our faith, to receive and rest. We want a religion that's just goal-oriented with metrics and checkboxes. But Jesus invites you into a relationship, his perfect rest. And so when he said to the Pharisees in that parallel passage, something greater is here. Something greater is here, greater than the Sabbath, greater than any checkbox, greater than any smart goal that you can make for yourself. Jesus fulfills our restless hearts. Let me give you one final story, a missions-oriented story. There is a a famous missionary from a long time ago, a guy named John Patton, who went to what is now the, um, the island nation of Vanuatu in the South Pacific, and he was working on a Bible translation there. And he realized when he was trying to translate the word faith or trust that they didn't have any word for that in, in their native language, which makes Bible translation fairly hard because that's an important word. And so he was wrestling with, what do I use? How do I translate this word for faith into something that they can understand? And so one day, the story goes, a friend of his, a national, a native, uh, came into his home, he'd been running hard, flopped down into this large chair that he had, and he said, whew, it is good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And John Patton said, that's it. That's what it is. And so he used that word. That actually became one word in his Bible for faith. And so to believe in Jesus became lay your whole weight on Jesus. Stretch out your whole self onto God. Are you, are you doing that? Are you stretching out your whole self? Are you leaning your entire self on Jesus? The good news of the gospel of Jesus is not about your ability to achieve, but it's about your willingness to receive and rest. And I think the best thing we can do in light of that is to take part in the Lord's Supper. So let me pray for us and we'll do that now. Jesus, forgive us for how hard we try. And it's for nothing. Lord, forgive us for how we try to achieve even, even for good things. But Lord, forgive us for our wrong motives and our misapplied hearts. Lord, help us to receive and to rest. Knowing that you have done all of the heavy lifting. You've done all the work. And you just simply call us uh, to respond to respond by receiving and resting. Help us to do that now, even now, as we take part in this meal together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.